if you appear weak enough, perhaps they take pity on you. That's what I always go for. How's that working out for you? Uh, it's great. Except when I accidentally burning hands the innkeeper. <laughs> but you know, the fourth time you do it, though, they begin to think maybe it wasn't accidental. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Last Stand in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 250 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on playing non-human characters, but adding a bit of a twist. We're talking about playing characters with aberrant dragon marks. But first the party makes a bloody mess in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Inuyasha tames the demon within in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All of the products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. And I gotta say, during this lockdown, I've gotten like dice and uh, dice accessory fever, honestly. I mean, I know, Shane, that's sort of where you live all the time. Uh-huh. But I just like the fact that from the comfort of my own home, I can uh, order new clickety-clackety math rocks and get them delivered to me. And then I can ogle them and and polish them and even roll them sometimes to come up with random numbers. And then that makes my characters do things. So we're doing uh, a lot more online gaming, which means I am gaming at my desk, which means I have a scattered mess of things about me as I'm trying to play. And that scroll rolling tray comes in so much handy to keep everything in one place. Right. When like everything's sort of balanced on like, I guess today I'm gaming on the bed and like next time it's like the arm of a couch or wherever I happen to be sitting at the moment. Oh, for me, it's it's always the same place. It's the desk. It's just, what have I done on my desk recently? How many computers are currently there? How many uh, dinner plates are currently there? Have you been painting on it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many keyboards are on my desk at the moment? <laughs> and I'll say, you would think this would be sort of like a renaissance for um, online dice rollers. And those have come in very handy, right? But I keep finding that every time I'm like, oh, I'll just rely on the online dice roller. No big deal. It either can't calculate something properly or I need to roll some other die like, oh, great, this will roll my like 2d6 plus four for me, but it doesn't calculate in the additional d8. And there's no place where I can go to just roll a random d8. So always I'm just like, I'm just going to have my dice handy just in case you never know. You can find Elderwood's dice and dice trays and dice accessories at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. Speaking of gaming online, Shane, we are continuing our adventure deep into the depths of was it basic D&D first edition D&D uh something like 1983 right <laughs> with a 5e reimagining of Castle Amber by Aram Vardian of Godsfall you can find us over at twitch.tv slash Godsfall on Friday night at 7 p.m where we are playing through this us Sally Dylan all the players Aram the GM we are uh I think we're pretty far removed from who our characters were before uh, we started this. <laughs> Recently, we have acquired a pet dragon and are trying desperately to get out of here with all that sweet, sweet loot that we have acquired since arriving. You're a dog right now. That's true. I am currently a dog. <laughs> I mean, I was a dog before, but you know. I guess we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, we are definitely playing through. It does feel a lot like golf where you're like, 
All right, that happened. I, I guess we're just going to go with it from here. Cool. <laughs> yeah, golf. <laughs> <laughs> Safer than golf, too. So, uh, yeah, tune in uh, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern time, and check it out. All right, so where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, in the insular city of Vedekir, the party is chasing a killer. So they managed to rescue their friend Bach from several assassins, one of whom had a strange message scrawled on his arm. Leave the skin unblemished, unbroken. Lenore and Vesicod had marked the last mercenary who is currently escaping to the south, so the party follows at a distance. But before leaving the city, he just vanishes. So Switch, the changeling paladin, dons the dead mercenary's armor and takes the form of the dead man before investigating. Eventually, she finds the body of the last soldier because he is dead and decapitated. And like the previous corpse they found, his blood is strewn across an alley wall. This time, though, Lenore, the House Thrashk Inquisitor, can see the obvious tracks of the same small humanoid that they identified at the first murder scene, and the party gives chase. So Switch is leading the way in her mercenary outfit, uh, looking like bait. Uh, as we run across the rooftops, and then out of nowhere, a blur of fur and slashing metal nearly cuts her in half. Miraculously, though, she holds her ground and is not thrown the 40 feet off the rooftops to the ground, at least for a moment anyway, because whatever it is rushes her again, and both of them plunge all the way down, landing in a crumpled heap of blood and meat. The creature slashes at her dying form before scurrying off around a corner. And everyone else rushes to Switch's aid, resuscitating her and beating a hasty retreat. Dragging her basically limp form uh, out of the way before whatever it is can come back and finish the job. Just as the party's about to turn out of sight down an alley, Lenore spots the creature, which sort of looks like shaggy and covered in fur, loping along on feet and what look like knuckles. She sees it return to this pool of blood, kick dirt on it, and then scramble away. So with a very damaged paladin, the group decides to head straight back to House Davis to recuperate. On the way, Sergeant Bach tells us that he heard intruders at the sanitarium and made his escape rather than confront them. He was heading to meet the party when we managed to catch up with him, uh, you know, just a second after those mercenaries did. Yeah. (laughs) So back at the Davis compound, he heads to a corner of one of their rooms to retch up the entire contents of his stomach, including a key charm to a house Kundaric vault that he says Ephraim gave him for safekeeping, and now he is entrusting it to the party. Uh, That night, Bramble and Lenore again have terrible dreams, more blood, more pain. This time, they can see a hooded figure looming over them and hear a few hissed words that sound like Ricarza. Nobody knows what that means, though, as they relate it to the rest of the party uh, when they wake up. But when they do awake in the morning, the guards of House Davis inform them that Decimus, the House Caneth Artificer, left in the middle of the night. He didn't give them any reason, and of course they didn't try to stop him, so he's just gone. Not quite sure whether they should track him down or not, the party decides that they're actually going to pursue their one and only lead. As a member of House Thrashk, Lenore knows that these House Kundaric key charms open interdimensional vaults. So you go to a bank, 
uh, pretty much anywhere in, in the Five Nations at a House Kundarak banking facility. You use your key charm that opens the vault and it is connected to um, a space that can be accessed from any House Kundarak facility. So it's like a safe deposit box, but you know any uh, you know Bank of America branch in the entire country, you could access the contents of that safe deposit box. However, the key charm is key to a particular individual. In this case, it would be Ephraim. So Bramble polymorphs Ephraim's body into a dead dove, and then they set off for a bank. And we'll find out what happens there next week. So this week, we are continuing our series on playing non-human races. Uh, when we talk about the aberrant dragon marks of Eberron. We already did an episode on playing dragon marked characters. We said uh, one of these days we would get to the aberrants, and here we are. So in Eberron, Keith Baker's Eberron, family lines of particular races can manifest basically magical birthmarks that grant spellcasting abilities and, you know, skills with certain tasks like healing or controlling the weather or artifice. These are all the things that uh, make Eberron a magitech society, uh, you know, sort of nearly industrial, but uh, based on magic instead of technology. And for millennia, the dragon-marked houses have controlled commerce on the entire continent and used their abilities to create monopolistic guilds controlled by each of the 12 families who run a different aspect of the economy. However, there are some people who manifest marks that have more destructive capabilities. They're called aberrant marks, and they don't fall within the parameters of the 12 true dragon marks, so their bearers are often feared, shunned, or hunted down by the houses to prevent another war of the mark, uh, an uprising of aberrants 1,500 years ago that destroyed many of the great cities of Corvair. So it's not great having an aberrant dragon mark uh, in modern-day Eberron. There's also an element of tragedy here, or, or can be in, in a game. Anyone can be born with an aberrant dragon mark for basically no reason. There, there isn't um, a defined or maybe known reason why some people get aberrant marks and other people don't. And at the same time, aberrant marks are more common when you have two people with different dragon marks who have a child. So sometimes they pop up right inside the houses. Let's talk about the history of dragon marks in D&D. Well, they're one of the pillars of the Eberron campaign setting, created by Keith Baker in 2004. Aberrant marks, uh, in addition to the, the true dragon marks, added a, a new sort of more customizable option for players who wanted to explore beyond uh, the strictures of the 12 Great Houses. So originally in uh, 3.5 D&D, there were optional feats that granted spell-like abilities, and then there were additional feats that you could take that increased their power and a few prestige classes that widened their uses. In 4th edition, they were a few example feats, but sort of underdeveloped. Yeah, they're like, you can make feats kind of like this, and here are some that are not that great. But they're officially back in 5e with Eberron rising from the last war. Unlike the true dragon marks, which are sub-races, the aberrant dragon mark is a single feat that grants plus one to constitution, access to one sorcerer cantrip, and a first level spell. Then at the GM's option, you can add more power after level 10 with a 10% chance of an epic boon uh, each level, right? Yeah, like you can only get it once and then each level you have a 10% chance. So like you're on average going to get it by level 20. I think we talked about in the Rising from the Last War review, like just have a conversation with your GM about like when it should happen and probably don't just make it random. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about some reasons why you might want to play an aberrant dragon-marked character. First one, you're a kid from the 90s. 
You want to be a feared outcast who always has to look over your shoulder because you never know when someone's going to be hunting you down. I mean, maybe you're a kid for the 90s and you want to hide your true nature. <laughs> you want a secret that can't get out. I always have to be so careful never to, to lose control, never to show my, my true face because then people will know who I am. Only 90s kids will remember Ever and Dragonheart. <laughs> It could also be that you want your story to involve House Tarkanon, which is the secret aberrant house in Sharn. We'll talk more about that later. You might want to prove your worth or your righteousness. You might want to be like disproving the stereotype and the, the danger of aberrant marks. Yeah, this is a lot like playing any sort of like monstrous humanoid race. Uh, you're like, oh, I want to be a shining beacon of goodness so that people believe that like orcs or, you know, kobolds or whatever are, like aren't terrible monsters. Uh, this is kind of cool, though, because... Also, orcs and kobolds and terrible monsters probably also hate you because you have an aberrant dragon mark and could cause terrible things to happen. Yep. Uh, it might be that you don't really want to lean into the flavor of the mark. You just want some magical abilities without having to be a spellcaster, and this is a great option for that. Or you could be a spellcaster that wants to augment their magical abilities with some new ones. Maybe you want to play a dragon-marked PC who isn't one of the canonical dragon-marked races. I mean, you can always talk to your GM and talk about getting one of the true marks on a different race, but that has a lot of implications for the setting. But you could be basically anybody and start with an aberrant mark and still be tied into um, aspects of the setting without necessarily being tied to houses. Dragon Mark Genasi, do it. Done. But don't take uh, burning hands because you already have that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's shield. Take shield. Um, <laughs> you might also want to explore or be part of the draconic prophecy. Aberrant marks are involved. It's just often unclear why. Yeah. So that's something cool that uh, you might potentially introduce for a hook for your GM, who I think will probably appreciate it. Let's talk about physiology. Just like a regular Dragonmark PC, you have a Dragonmark that looks like a magical tattoo or birthmark um, that is it basically sort of like um, embellished script. Mm -hmm. Aberrant marks are often depicted as dark purple or black or red, but they can honestly be any color. Probably the only color they aren't is like a light bluish green because that's the color of a true Dragonmark. They also will vary in size that correlates to their power or maturity of the mark. So if you have a lesser dragon mark, it'll be small. If it's a greater dragon mark, it'll be larger. Um, and of course, it can be anywhere on the body. So where is yours? Is it someplace obvious? Is it someplace easily concealed? You sort of run into some of the, the flip side of the considerations of playing a PC with a true dragon mark. Like if you have the mark of storm, if it's on your chest, it's easily hidden. But if it's on your face... I mean, okay, that makes it hard for you to infiltrate, but also it's very obvious to everybody that like you are basically a dragon mark scion and you are essentially nobility, right? On the flip side, though, uh, with an aberrant mark, again, if it's on your chest or your leg, you can probably do a good job of hiding it unless you're using it. But if it's on your face, you are obviously, apparently, literally marked. The placement of the mark is totally up to uh, the player. So think about uh, what you want to be role playing. The mark cannot be removed. You can't escape it. You can't cut it off or, you know, scrape it off. You can't, anything that you do to try to remove it, it will grow back. If you lose a hand and it's on the back of your hand, it will regrow elsewhere. If you are reincarnated, the mark will remain. And to anybody who knows anything about dragon marks, it's very obvious that it's not a true dragon mark. Village yokels maybe will think that you're an actual dragon mark sign, but basically everybody can tell, you know, according to the, the lore, there's something wrong with you. 
the other thing that will stand out is that you are tougher than any you are tougher than other members of your race just naturally right because you have that plus one con so like a sorcerer you also have innate magical ability that you may or may not know how to control and then also some RP considerations. You know, what does it look like when you use the powers of your mark? Um, are you fully in control of your mark? Um, does it like burn you or hurt you? It's usually something negative. Uh, there's a list of, you know, random flaws you can pick. But I mean, you can you can pick almost anything. Also, keep in mind that all marks tend to manifest around puberty and in situations of extreme stress. How did your mark manifest? And was it bad or tragic? Because you your mark abilities uh, are often destructive right it can be any sorcerer spell many of which are attack spells and if it manifested when you were like 11 years old when you were angry at your family how did that look magic missile (laughs) (laughs) so in terms of culture unlike the true dragon marked houses there isn't a real cohesive culture uh, among aberrants right many people with aberrant marks don't even know anyone else who does have a mark Often aberrant dragon marks are secretive or mistrustful because they have been persecuted. They've seen that firsthand or, you know, at the very least, they know the rumors that circulate about them. And even if you are striving to be a shining beacon to prove that, you know, there's nothing wrong with people with aberrant marks, you're still looking over your shoulder, right? Because not every house has a standing order to kill aberrants on site, right? Like Danaeth definitely does. Yeah. Jurasco probably doesn't. But like a lot of houses do. And at the same time, like not every member of a house with a kill on site order will necessarily kill you as soon as they realize that you have an aberrant mark, but a lot of them will. You will also likely be more powerful than other people around you, such as, you know, other villagers or your friends or, you know, family members. But you're not that powerful, right? Like you you have one spell. So the fear of your mark comes from the potential not necessarily from your explicit capability. Keep in mind that canonically, um, after the War of the Mark 1,500 years ago, aberrants became very rare and in general were less powerful because most of the most powerful ones were killed off in the war. But in the past 10 years or so, people have begun manifesting stronger, more powerful marks. Those will probably be story elements uh, that you'll work out with your GM because you know right now all we have is the, the one mark and then a potential decently sized power up after... Uh, level 10, but people still remember the stories of the Lady of Plague and Lord Tarkannon, who between just the two of them destroyed the entire city of Sharn with like massive earthquakes and uh, a plague of vermin, which some people say is still like a curse upon the city. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people are always sort of looking at you going, yeah, you're not strong right now, but what about next year? There is one major exception which is House Tarkanen, not founded by the aforementioned Tarkanen, but named after him, I believe. Yeah. Which is a secret underground organization in Sharn that effectively acts like a thieves' guild, but mostly just carries out assassinations. They came into conflict with the Boromar Thieves' Guild, which is run by halflings, and then came to like a detente. So it's, a, again, sort of an unfortunate happenstance of, of having aberrant marks. The Boromar said... We won't try to kill you and you won't try to kill us as long as you don't get it on our turf. And basically, the only thing we don't do is assassinations. So you get the assassinations. Mm-hmm. Now, House Tarkanen, though, obviously, they have a not great reputation full of aberrants. Go out, they go out and kill people. 
but they will accept literally anybody with an aberrant mark. So you are not going to be turned away if you can find the organization and attempt to join it. And their main goal is actually to research the marks and then to train people with them to use them to their full potential, whatever that's going to be. So you are going to probably experience more uh, acceptance than you have anywhere else. It's also possible that they might be trying to destroy all the other like true dragon marked houses, just depending on your Eberron. But like that's a definite possibility. So let's talk about family ties, because I think this could be an, an interesting source of conflict or background for uh, an aberrant Dragonmark character. Some aberrants are born of liaisons between houses. If two people with a Dragonmark have a baby, there's a good chance it ends up with an aberrant mark. So if you were raised in a true house before you had your mark, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the house now that you have escaped or had to escape or been cast out? Because you're definitely not in the house anymore, right? Like, right. if you haven't manifested a mark by like the age of fourteen, they're they're like you have doctors checking you, right? Uh, you have people like putting you through tests and extreme situations to see if you're going to manifest the mark. There's basically no way you're going to be able to hide a manifested aberrant mark. So, did your family try to kill you immediately? They very well might have. Uh, did someone try to kill you and, uh, and other family members helped you escape in secret and now you have an ally inside the house? That's a cool option too. So the question here is, who are your parents? Were they dragon marked? How did they react to f discovering that you have an aberrant mark? And those are questions that you're going to want to answer even if you have no tie to a uh, an actual house, right? Because, you know, you can just be born out in a random village somewhere and then suddenly manifest an aberrant mark. You could be a a hobgoblin or a changeling or a Kalishdar and manifest an aberrant mark. And maybe you absolutely have no idea what the heck this is. And you weren't cast out of your family because like Kalishdar don't really know that much about dragon marks. And like they were only in um, Adar during the War of the Mark. It, it didn't affect them in any way. Is the entire community rallying around you to protect you from other people who might do you harm? And then, of course, consider, are they still alive? It's very possible they died protecting you, or you had to kill them in order to get away, or you killed them when your mark manifested, depending on the spell that you chose. Right. Poison spray. <laughs> Yikes. Let's talk about how dragon marked or aberrant dragon mark characters interact with other people in society. Let's start with house members. This is something that really gets into the conceit of Eberron in the first place is like, if you want to take part in society, you are interacting with house members. If you want to take the lightning rail, which is the train, then there are house members on board because they're the ones who run it. If you want to take an airship, if you want to go to a, a nice inn, it's going to be run by House Galanda, right? If you want to buy a nice horse, it's probably run by House Vidalis. That puts you adjacent to people with true marks who are probably your mortal enemies. But a lot of that depends on like, how zealous are they about this whole aberrant thing? How zealous are you about this whole aberrant thing? Yeah, are you trying to create an issue out of it or are you trying to minimize the uh, risk to yourself? Also depends, of course, which house. You know, some houses like uh, like Galanda or Jurasco probably will tend and offer service to a an aberrant dragon mark. Others are going to kill on sight. And then, of course, how powerful are you? And if you if you have a very strong mark or you are a high level adventurer, you're probably less concerned about some random halfling innkeeper finding out about your mark because you know that if you need to, you can, you know, bust out of there and then whatever, teleport away. Likewise, if you appear weak enough, perhaps they take pity on you. That's what I always go for. How's that working out for you? Uh, it's great. It 
except when I accidentally burning hands the innkeeper. <laughs> but you know, the fourth time you do it, though, they begin to think maybe it wasn't accidental. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what about relationships to other people with aberrant marks? This probably reminds me a lot of like how different mutants in like Marvel get along because mutation is, is so random and so are aberrant marks. Like how do your marks compare? If one's on the face and one's on the body, obviously the person who has it on their body has had a much easier life because it's much easier to hide. Are their like flaws or side effects from the mark quote unquote better than yours, like less painful or easier to manage or something like that? Like how, how do you feel given both of you have have sort of rolled the dice and, and this is what you've ended up with. Yeah, and then how do you both feel about non-marked people? Or how do you feel about House Tarkanan? Is that freedom fighting for people with aberrant marks or is that um, just adding to a negative reputation? How do you feel about true houses? Are they looking out for the greater good or are they trying to protect their own power? If you were raised in a house and you still have uh, some positive feelings about it and someone else was totally thrown out or, you know, has had no interactions with house members other than, you know, the sharp end of a sword, you probably differ very greatly. You may actually disagree enough to fight over it. But of course, this person might be the only other person with an aberrant mark that you have ever met. So there probably is at least some sort of kinship. I think there's probably also something to find with other aberrants about like your belief of what causes them. Is this a curse? Is this a blessing? Was this like some sort of behavior that led to this, you know, from your parents or, you know, an ancestor? Was this just dumb luck? Was it prophecy? You know, there's a lot of different reasons in Eberron that you might justify why some people get marks and others don't. Yeah, this is a, a sort of a cool aspect where, you know, if you have two orcs who meet each other, um, they're not going to be arguing about like whether being an orc is a curse, you know, but you have two aberrants meet and one might be like, no, we are, you know, cursed by Kyber and another's like, no, we are blessed and there's absolutely nothing wrong with us and we're certainly not monsters. And maybe both are right. Like um, one of Keith Baker's favorite uh, conspiracy theories that you know, may or may not be true is that the Dalkir are actually responsible for all dragon marks. Mm. And so like basically everyone has an aberrant dragon mark. Mm. Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would definitely be my line, right? <laughs> like I'm not the weird one. You're all, we're all weird ones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then how do you look upon people who are not marked? Do you see their lifestyle with envy? You know, they don't have to deal with the hardships that you do having to hide this mark or having to deal with the cost of it manifesting. It's a reflection of how you feel about your own mark. If you hate your mark, then you probably do envy other people. If you love your mark or or think it is, uh, it, it is a mark of power, then maybe it's condescension that you feel when you talk to people who don't have marks or possibly even pity. And then you might view other people as you know, subjects, people who you are meant to rule, or, you know, if you're a nicer bent, maybe they're just allies who can help you, you know, achieve more or, you know, fully unlock your mark's potential. You might begin to form opinions of dragons as well. Uh, obviously, they're the namesake of the dragon marks, but your interactions with dragons will probably be slightly different than other people from Corvair. If you meet a dragon, your aberrant mark might be more dangerous to them, or it might be more interesting to them in a way that they might want to research or exploit or dissect that's <laughs> <laughs> exploit <laughs> you have two namesakes what do you feel about aberrations and 
do aberrations take an interest in in your mark? Do they think that they have something to do with it or that Zoriat is somehow involved? Or, you know, are, are they just like, no, we have we have no idea what that is and, and it's ridiculous that you think we would be involved? Go talk to the dragons. Oh, yeah, sure. Every ugly thing that comes around, you blame on aberrations, huh? <laughs> wow. Wow. Thought you were better than that, but I guess not. Honestly, it's in the name aberration, okay? Like, when you <laughs> said aberrations, you kind of you kind of put it all out there. Look, look, we'd, we didn't come up with the term, all right, in High Galifar whenever you guys did, okay? Not our fault. <laughs> we prefer Dalkir, thank you. Right, or... <laughs> Reasons for adventuring, if you've got an aberrant mark, the obvious one, staying on the move so you don't get stabbed in the night. You might also be running away from a house, like explicitly getting away from, like hiding from them, or you might just be um, told that you need to leave and we can't find you, so get out. Tying in with some of these others, you might be out to prove yourself. Maybe you're trying to prove yourself to the house as a valuable member, uh, trying to show that you're not dangerous and that you should be welcomed back in and that, you know, aberrants aren't really a threat to House Orion. You might be adventuring to unleash the power of your mark or at least to control it, right, to better develop your ability to use the mark. Uh, what safer place to do that than dank dungeons and cobalt-filled caverns? Yeah, I'm not going to accidentally hurt anybody I care about down here. Right. And then you might also be looking to find a cure or, you know, quote unquote cure, whatever you think that is, either turning it into a true dragon mark or getting rid of it altogether or something. In terms of the D&D game, what classes fit aberrant dragon marks best? I have always loved aberrant marks because they're so versatile, which means it can work with pretty much any class and pretty much any kind of character. From a mechanical perspective, it's an easy way to get the Sword Coast Adventures Guide cantrips, uh, Green Flame Blade, Booming Blade. Those are definitely two good options. You can also do it, obviously, with like um, the Magic Initiate feat, but I sort of like the, the coolness of the Aberrant Mark. Like The Aberrant Mark is stronger on melee classes because the spellcasting you get is constitution-based, which means that the DC for spells you get, like Firebolt or something like that, is actually pretty good, whereas like... Normally, if you stick magic initiate on a fighter, your, you know, intelligence or wisdom or charisma spell DC is going to be pretty garbage. Yeah. In terms of combat, uh, you might flavor that all of your abilities are stemming from your mark. So your mark might take the place of your warlock patron. It might be the root cause of your monk skills. It might give you all of your sorcerer spell casting. And then, you know, the question is, what does that look like when you use that? We did this a lot in Dark Sun where, you know, canonically there's arcane magic, there's psionics, um, there's like elemental magic, and everybody just sort of decided which of their abilities were from which power source, and then you just sort of stuck with that going through, right? So, hey, you know, these spells are, I'm going to say, are, are psionic, and then these others are arcane, which means like you can't defile with these, you know, and you can defile with these. And it was fun and interesting to sort of have those play a story element even though they're like there's no mechanical difference right feel free to reflavor pretty much anything um you know any spells that you have any uh, martial abilities could be like your dragon mark actually like manifesting into physical form and lashing out or glowing red hot or something like that yeah maybe your dragon mark could shout somebody's arm back on you know uh, yeah i have the you know, aberrant mark of warlordism. Warlordry. <laughs> Use it to your advantage. If people are terrified of aberrant marks, maybe reveal it in the middle of combat and get a bonus to intimidation. Mm -hmm. like how how do your enemies feel about facing a real, actual monster of legend? Yeah, or maybe you 
it goes the opposite way, right? And you provoke them into righteous indignation. <laughs> now they feel they're not just fighting for survival. They're now fighting for what's good for all. Yeah, I guess that could be a problem. <laughs> Who's getting attacked first? Oh, it's me. Of course it's me. <laughs> right. <laughs> for skills, you don't get skill bonuses from aberrant marks, but the cantrip that you pick can substitute for some abilities. I kind of like this to shore up things that you're not particularly good at. You can use the friend's cantrip instead of bothering to you know, take persuasion. Minor illusion is a good stand-in for deception. Mending works really well for a tool proficiency, something like that. Or even just, uh, you know, you take firebolt or ray of frost so you have uh, an actual like viable ranged attack right on a character that usually wouldn't have one in terms of magic items you're going to want to look for dragon mark focus items uh, these are items that incorporate a, a particular dragon shard that amplifies your abilities aberrant mark focused items are much much more rare though uh, most of them were destroyed long ago but that means that if you can get your hands on some kyber shards which are tied to your mark abilities, then you might be able to create something or have someone else create something for you. When people talk about Eberron, the dragon marks and the houses always come up, and sometimes I feel like aberrant marks sort of get short shrift or they fall to the wayside as something that is maybe less interesting or not as fleshed out. And I think historically that has been true, uh, that they haven't been nearly as fleshed out. But I think that as a story element, they have a lot of potential, partly because they're so customizable, like you can basically do whatever you want with them, and because they can fit into the lore any way that you want, because there isn't a canonical reason why they exist or meaning for them. Um, there isn't a uh, like particular bent uh, for alignment for people who have them. You can be anyone and anything and it can mean anything that you want which is very freeing and also just sort of a cool additional element to your story i do think it's good to talk to your gm about this beforehand so that you get a sense of what their interpretation of aberrant marks is going to be ultimately the gm's perspective is what informs the way that the world is going to respond to you and that's going to greatly influence what that aberrant mark feels like in play Right, So if you are looking for a certain arc that the, the GM just doesn't seem to acknowledge very well, then maybe you take a different path. You definitely want to know what you're getting into. Is this the game where uh, tieflings are shunned and everybody hates me? Or is this the one where nobody really cares? Right. So we have something a little bit special before we go to the Character Creation Forge, Ishan. You might recall that there is a tier of our Patreon reward in which our backers get to put words in our mouth. Oh, it's very true. And guess what? It's time. We have a couple backers at this level who have never taken us up on this offer. <laughs> but Dominic, uh, our, our faithful patron, uh, is willing to be a trailblazer. So he has asked us to read a few words on his behalf. He'd like us to tell you about the code name. Is it Cormorant? Cormorant. He'd like us to tell you about the code name Cormorant Audio Drama Podcast. Come join a team of allied agents and soldiers as they fight the anomalous, supernatural, and downright strange weapons of the Axis powers. If you liked Captain America the First Avenger or Overlord, you'll love Code Name Cormorant. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine pods are casted. You know, wherever you find us, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's certainly in more places than we are because we're not even on Spotify. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so this is Dominic's uh, podcast. Uh, so yeah, his, his audio You should drama check podcast. it out, definitely. Um, I am a huge fan of 
uh, Axis powers with uh, weird science weapons. So, you know, it's it sort of a, maybe one of my favorite subgenres, honestly. It's maybe the sole charm of the Axis powers is that they have weird supernatural power, like weapons and stuff, right? Like, it's the only charm of them as a villain. Right, that they were willing to, like, you know, find Hellboy, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were willing to go dig up the uh, Holy Grail and die to it. Right. <laughs> they were willing to work with vampires for some reason. I'm not really sure why, <laughs> right. but, you know, okay. It's a evergreen source of villainy. Thank you, Dominic, for your support on Patreon. Thank you to everybody for checking out Codename Cormorant. And if you are at the right tier on Patreon, just shoot us a message uh, on email. Email us and let us know what you'd like us to say. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's definitely an angry mob. I think uh, I should use the vast powers of my mark and disappear. Let's move on to the character creation forge. Put your hand in a crucible and see what manifests. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. Or also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right. So today in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Inuyasha. Of the eponymous show, there's a half human, half dog demon. That's actually, <laughs> that's very helpful for you to tell me what show this comes from. Not that I'll, <laughs> not that I'll watch it, but you know, like <laughs> I had a pretty strong inkling of where Sailor Neptune came from. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Inuyasha is tough and strong. He fights with a big old sword. He has very keen senses because, of course, he's half dog demon. And he struggles to control that demon half sometimes. Uh, when he comes near to death, sometimes it tries to uh, take over. So would you say it's a bad demon? Down, bad demon. Uh, yes, and I would... Stop that. Smack him with a rolled up newspaper, I guess. I don't know. Do they have that in feudal Japan? Sure. It's a, it's a rolled up scroll of news <laughs> they didn't have a printing press yet right it's a scroll of oh news crap uh, i thought this was a scroll of resurrection but no it's uh well it's old news now unfortunately it's, yeah it's also around for months takes about yeah it takes two days to write and it takes about a month to arrive so <laughs> right. nobody crafts news. newspapers it takes too long <laughs> okay they probably didn't have news scrolls in, in feudal japan is what I, is what i'm getting at here well they definitely have them in my games from now on all right, so what's the build? It is Totem Barbarian 12, Kensei Monk 4, Champion Fighter 4. And this sounds like a tiefling. I mean, half demon, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're going to go with Zariel tiefling, plus two charisma, plus one to strength, and you get uh, two smite spells once a day. As a tiefling, you also get fire resistance. Um, Inuyasha himself doesn't have fire resistance, but basically the only thing he owns is his uh, robe of the fire rat, which is basically like a priest garments, uh, which protects him from fire. This dude is a murder hobo after my heart. <laughs> from Barbarian, you get five rages per day and a plus three damage bonus while you're raging. You get unarmored defense, which is good because, of course, he doesn't wear armor. He just wears flimsy priest robes. Of course, you will also get Reckless Attack, which you will always be using for advantage on your attacks. Yeah, uh, he's only recently got a sword, 
and doesn't really know how to use it and just relies on his great strength and just swings wildly. So I think uh, it was described like the that sword is as good as a club in your hands, but he's still very effective. Honestly, same. <laughs> You'll also get danger sense, fast movement, and feral instinct. He is uh, quick uh, and able to avoid danger. You get extra attack and brutal critical, and then eventually relentless rage uh, even when you are reduced to zero hit points, you make a constitution saving throw. And if you succeed, uh, you are not. You're reduced to one. He takes damage that should kill a normal person and then still stays in the fight. As a totem barbarian, you will take bear at level three for the uh, extra defenses. And then you take wolf for fast tracker at level seven, six at level six. He has very uh, keen senses and is able to uh, locate people from far away, so you will now also be able to. From Monk, you get unarmed combat. He has claws, and I am disappointed that there's no way to get claws with all of the tiefling options in 5e. I don't understand why. You can get fangs, no problem. You can get cat eyes, but you can't get claws, even like useless claws. Only time you will ever be upset about not getting natural weapons out of a, <laughs> out of a race. <laughs> Remember, you get unarmed combat, so you'll be able to uh, punch when you get that first monk level. So, like, hold a dagger or a short sword or something and just reflavor it as claws. You'll get flurry of blows, uh, step of the wind, uh, which will allow you to move around in combat quickly. Inuyasha canonically deflects missiles, snatches arrows out of the air, so you'll be able to. He can leap high and uh, slow his own descent. So, I mean, he is basically a monk. <laughs> Yeah, basically a monk with slow fall. <laughs> and then we'll get a Kensei weapon, which sounds like we need that long sword, uh, since that's his new new arrival, uh, which he will use two-handed. From fighter, you'll get a fighting style. Um, I think the math works out better on dueling and using the long sword one-handed, but I kind of think it's more interesting and fun to do the long sword two-handed and then use uh, great weapon fighting. You will also get the super useful fighter abilities, Second Wind and Action Surge. And then at level three, we'll get improved criticals so we can crit on a 19 or 20. On all your weapon attacks, so all of your attacks that you're making, and you're making a lot of them because you are also a monk. Right. He's not a battle master fighter. He's not good with his sword. He just swings it a lot and swings it hard. Right. <laughs> so for leveling order, I would start Barbarian so that you can get um, constitution saving throws because those will be very useful later on then probably all four levels of monk take barbarian to six to get the tracking then your four levels of fighter and then finish out barbarian so shane who is your inuyasha so my inuyasha uh was kicked out of uh his monastery because he um had no grace no social grace no um no physical grace, right? Like he could not flow like water. Instead, instead, he insisted on like, you know, fighting against the stream upright as a log. Um, and so, as he continued to grow stronger, but no, no more graceful, uh, he eventually parted ways with his monastery and uh, went to live on the land and and took after the animals uh, that he observed. Uh, and is now sort of using those lessons to reingratiate himself in society. Right some wrongs, you know, fix the worst animal of all, humankind. <laughs> we were the monster all along. Exactly. How about your Inuyasha? So my Inuyasha venerates the, the dog totem and has decided that she wants to emulate 
the dog, a bit like Diogenes, uh, right, who wanted to like live as a dog to be more natural, uh, except that she has decided that she wants to fight like one, a, a pit bull to be exact, which means not much finesse. That's not necessary because uh, you're tough and you hit hard. And if you hit first and enough times, then you don't need to worry about getting hit back. Uh, so, you know, she spends her time wandering as a dog does, uh, fending for herself, finding uh, food where where she can, as a dog might. Um, and then, you know, uh, in in combat, decides uh, what the, the hierarchy or the pecking order will be based on uh, her opponent's combat skill. And little by little, she seeks a place in the world and looks to uh, found a new pack. Nice. Does that track the actual anime? No, not at all. Okay, good, great. Don't <laughs> tell me anything else. <laughs> They're searching for a sacred jewel, and it turns out that this Japanese schoolgirl is the reincarnation of his long-lost love. You know what? <laughs> Just tell me how to thank our Patreon supporters. Their support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. If you do want to learn more, you can check out all the rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And another thanks to Dominic for uh, supporting us at the $20 level. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about player types for online games. And in the Character Creation Forge? Anime continues, and we're building L. Well, that's it for episode 250, or I guess that's uh, uh, CCL, huh? Huh? <laughs> I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for a great story? Do you love Star Wars? Do you like podcasts? If you said yes to any of these, check out the Redemption Podcast. Well, I have less in my head than you do normally, probably. You haven't met the crew I'm with. Pretty much everywhere we go, our life is in danger. Things didn't explode. That's pretty sneaky for us. That sounds horrible. Yes, please finish up whatever underhanded thing you're doing on the computer terminals at the Jedi Temple. Check out Redemption Podcast at www.redemptionpodcast.com. <laughs>